Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. So we're continuing today our series on the Kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount. And just as a quick refresher, here are a few things the Sermon on the Mount is not. Okay, The Sermon on the Mount is not preaching perfectionism. It's not Jesus laying out idealism or utopianism. Um, It's not something that's reserved just for super apostles or for monastics or anyone like that. The Sermon on the Mount is not to prove how sinful or incapable we are of following what God wants us to do. Uh, It's not about having your best life now in some sort of individualistic, selfish sort of way. Uh, I know the Sermon on the Mount has been taught in all of those ways uh, for a long time, but none of those is what's going on uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Instead, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus giving us, his followers, specific commands. These are things that he wants us to do, that he expects us to do. Uh, This is Jesus laying out his manifesto for how we are to live. This is the way of the life. This is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way of Jesus. Uh, So it is ideal in a sense, but it's also doable. It's not something we can't achieve. It's something we can do and that Jesus expects us to do. And it, it is done by faith and by hope and by love and builds all of those into our lives more and more as we go. Uh, faith, hope, and love that we can do it. Faith, hope, and love in each other. Faith, hope, and love in the created order around us. And faith, hope, and love uh, directed towards God as he empowers us with those as well. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is training us step by step on moving towards the kingdom of God, moving towards Jesus, moving towards Shalom. So those are the things that's going on. And here today, I want to focus on chapter 6, the middle part of this sermon. Uh, this is the heart of the matter. And there are really three things Jesus talks about in this in this part of the sermon, chapter 6. He talks about giving, or your translation might say almsgiving. He talks about prayer, including the Lord's Prayer. And he talks about fasting. Now, We've talked for a few weeks about other things like turning the other cheek as an act of resistance, about giving them the shirt off of your back, giving them your underwear as an act of resistance against the powers of the world. And when you hear giving, prayer, and fasting, it's easy to think of those in more standard, everyday religious terms, because those are things that we think of when we think of religion. But I really want you to remember the things we've talked about before and hear these words, hear these actions in that same way. That giving and prayer and fasting are also actions of resistance. They are working towards the kingdom of God. They are working for the kingdom of God. They are working against the powers of this world. And we tend to think of these in religious terms because these are central to the Christian life and always have been. And I'm not arguing that they're not central. I want you to understand them central in a slightly different way. So I'm going to read this passage to you out of Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. Check this out. This is chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. 
play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well. So as I've been saying for a few weeks, this sermon is full of triads, where Jesus mentions something that is standard uh, Hebrew wisdom or teaching from Torah, and he affirms that. He doesn't cancel that out or argue against it. He affirms it. But then he also explains what the problems we have with that are, problems that we bring to the table, reasons why the, the law doesn't work because we turn it into something bad. And then he sets a new trajectory, uh, a stronger trajectory, a more helpful trajectory that he expects his followers to do. <coughs> Excuse me. And this passage we just read also contains these triads. There are four of them. Let me show you this on a chart. The first one is in verses 2 through 4 and relates to giving, or almsgiving, your translation might say. The next two are about prayer. Uh, Jesus gives us two of these where he raises it and then shows us the problems and then explains what he wants us to do instead. And then the third is fasting, which is verses 16 through 18. So these are the traditional Jewish practices. Any good Israelite who was faithful to Torah and faithful to Yahweh would have been engaged in giving and in prayer and in fasting. And Jesus is affirming these practices. And today we're going to focus mostly on prayer. I'll come back to giving when we talk about mammon in a couple of weeks. 
And fasting is really just a subset of prayer. Uh, not really, but we're going to deal with prayer mostly today, okay? Julian of Norwich says this, Prayer is a new, gracious, lasting will of the soul, united and fast-bound to the will of God by the precious and mysterious working of the Holy Ghost. Prayer unites the soul to God. I don't think it's any mistake that prayer is at the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Matthew, who is the writer of this gospel, puts the Lord's Prayer. Luke puts it somewhere else in his, in his telling. But Matthew says this is central. And we've latched onto this as followers of Jesus as central because prayer is at the very heart of the Christian life. Prayer is at the very heart of discipleship. Prayer is at the very heart of following Jesus well. So it is good for us to pay close attention to what's going on in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the heart of Jesus' manifesto for his way of life, and understand what he wants us to be about when we engage in prayer. And as I've mentioned before, I'm depending on this book, Kingdom Ethics, by David Gushy and Glenn Stassen for this understanding, this reading of the Sermon on the Mount and these triads. And here's what they say in regard to this passage. Jesus offers a warning in each triad here in chapter 6 about succumbing to the sinful pattern of practicing almsgiving, prayer, and fasting for show, and at the same time expecting a reward from God. The public practice of an exaggerated piety, Jesus taught, is spiritually deadly. Essentially, he taught that human beings get a choice between serving God with purity of heart and using God as a means to serving the idol of prestige. So with each of these triads, we have this sinful tendency that Jesus mentions. One, he says, don't blow a trumpet announcing your arrival when you're giving. We have a tendency when we're giving to make a show of it, right? Uh, people who do fundraising for a living, they have rewards like you can be in the, in the gold circle or in the platinum circle or in the president circle. That's to give people recognition for donating. It's a very human tendency. And Jesus says, no, in my kingdom, that's not how we do giving. When you do giving, do it so secretly that you don't even know what you're doing. Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, is what he says. I'm getting ahead of myself. So in the second one in prayer, he's like, don't call attention to yourself. Don't play act. Don't role play. People who do that, people who treat prayer meeting and street corner like a stage and playing to the crowd, we can't have any part of that. That's not prayer. Prayer is not religious show. It can't be a religious show and be what Jesus means by prayer. He also says about prayer in verse 7, don't babble repetitious phrases as the Gentiles or as the pagans do. You don't just repeat yourself over and over again. We don't chant mantras. That's not part of what we do if we're praying the way Jesus has taught us to pray. And then with regard to fasting, he says, look, don't scowl. Don't put on an ugly face. Uh, then you're just showing everyone that you're fasting and making a big deal of it. Uh, if you do any of these things, you're doing it to get a reward from your fellow humans. And you may get that reward, but that's all the reward you will get. This has no effect on your relationship with God. This has no good effect on your discipleship, is what Jesus is telling us. Instead, the liberating command that he gives us for each of these is, one, give your giving in secret. Do it quietly. Do it unobtrusively. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't get your name on a plaque. Uh, don't do any of those things. 
And then when you pray, go somewhere quiet. Shut the door. Do it in secret. Do it. I love how Peterson says it. Do it in a way that in a place that you don't have to role play, where you can just say to God what you need to say to God, whatever that is, and however that gets spoken. That's prayer as Jesus is understanding it and wanting us to practice it. And then he wants us to pray simply. And we'll talk more about the Lord's Prayer in just a minute. But use simple language. You don't have to use religious language. You don't have to use theological terminology. Those aren't very helpful when it comes to praying. You don't have to repeat mantras over and over again. You don't have to do those things. Now, there are some uh, phrases that will help you. Uh, The Psalms will help you to pray. Uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer can help you to pray. Uh, reading poetry can help you to pray. You can turn those things into prayers, and that's wonderful and helpful and good. But we also can run the risk of turning even the Lord's Prayer into the type of play-acting, role-playing, babbling prayer that Jesus is telling us not to do. So you have to be very careful that we're not doing this as a show. We're not doing this as a ritual. We're not doing this as a religious exercise. Anytime we're doing that, we're not praying as Jesus wants us to pray. And then I love the last one with fasting. He's basically saying, look, if you're going to fast, comb your hair, wash your face, brush your teeth, act normal, okay? No one needs to know that you've gone without food. If you can't Go without food or whatever it is, without acting normal, then just go ahead and eat, all right? You should be able to go around. You should be able to go a meal or a day or a few without eating, without, you know, moaning and belly aching and dragging yourself around. And hey, if you can't, then maybe fasting is not for you. And then Jesus says, look, if you do these things in secret, if you do these things quietly and unobtrusively, if you're not role-playing and just trying to get attention from everyone around you, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you, which is the goal here, is to be rewarded with growth and maturity and growth in discipleship, growth in relationship to God. So this is what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage that we're reading today. So specifically with prayer, and we talked about prayer a year ago, last summer, you may remember, and we talked about some of these things, that prayer is not a pious religious exercise. Um, It's not us trying to forget that we're human and pretend that we're not, like we're engaged in some divine communication. No, prayer still happens all down here on the human end of things, right? It's not us climbing some ladder toward God. It's not us enhancing our spirituality. It's not us getting our minds right. Remember Karl Barth told us, our mind is never right. And we have to begin with that assumption, like this is a human exercise, and hopefully God will listen to me and come my way because I can't, there's no ladder for me to climb to get to God. It doesn't work that way. Um, We are not reaching up to commune with God ever. God is always reaching down to the human level to commune with us. Whenever we think we're rising up or becoming spiritual or or leaving the earthly plane, uh, then, then what's going on is a figment of our imagination that has nothing to do with reality. And Jesus wants us to pray in reality. He doesn't want us to pray in fancy land, okay, or fanciful land or, or, or whatever. Reality, boots on the ground, eyes wide open. What's really going on? That's what we're praying about. Um, prayer is not us searching for God. It's God searching for us. So all these ideas of piety and escapism, um, trying to create a, a mood or a moment, Anytime we're talking about engaging in some specific method, just throw all that out the window. 
there's some teaching that can help us become better at the practice of prayer. I'm not saying that's not true, but there's no formula, there's no method, there's no secret sauce. It doesn't work that way. Prayer is not any of those things. Patrick Otuma says it this way, no prayer is perfect. There is no system of prayer that is the best. There's only the person praying, the person kneeling, the person walking with beads between their fingers, the person cursing God or gloom or fate or whatever it is that seems not to be listening. Henry Nouwen said that the only way to pray is to pray. The only way to try is to try. So the only way to pray well is to pray regularly enough that it becomes a practice of encounter. We need to practice a kind of prayer that works and keep practicing. Seek the way that works, Ignatius says. Prayer discovers its own vernacular. So as we practice praying, we'll figure out what prayer sounds like and feels like and looks like for us. And that may be very different for me than it is from you. And that's okay because God is the one who's looking for us. Uh, the Holy Spirit groans, Paul tells us, and, and utters things that we can't even understand about the hope of resurrection and our spirits longing wordlessly to join in what the Father is doing. That's the beginning of prayer. And so it can sound and look very differently from one person to the next because it's not about us getting it right. It's about us just paying attention to what God is doing because God is the one moving towards us. God is the one walking towards us. Remember, we talked about this before. God is always the one saying, where are you? Like he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's always us saying, oh, I'm over here. That's the beginning of prayer. When we stop hiding from the God who is looking for us. And what we've learned over the last couple years in the Job series and in the Revelation series and in the Roman series is that we often use religion to hide from God. So we can't turn prayer into a religious exercise without abandoning what prayer is. But we think of prayer in terms of religion. So I really want us to pull that back. Prayer is not piety. It's not escapism. It's not a ladder to God. It's not a religious experience. It's not a method. It's not any of that. All of that is really clever ways of hiding from God. And I want us to not be part of any of that. I want us to be in that place where we're like, I'm over here and, and, and I'm naked. Help. <laughs> That's prayer. Okay? So prayer is here I am. With all the truth-telling involved and where here is and who I think I am in this moment, Augustine tells us that the ultimate form of truth-telling is prayer, is confession. Religion is covering up. Religion is lying. Praying is telling the truth to God, to ourselves, about where we are and who we are. Prayer is standing naked before God. I could make a joke here about giving your underwear, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're just going to let that one go. Uh, Jesus is the only one who stood fully in the presence without hiding at all. We're always hiding parts of ourselves from God, even when we're engaged in prayer. There's always stuff we leave unsaid because somehow we think God's not going to know it anyway. But God can be trusted with the truth about us. God can be trusted with what we think. God can be trusted with what we feel. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us 
in the Sermon on the Mount, that coming into the kingdom of God, becoming his follower, is growing in trust that Papa is who Papa says he is, that Papa is who Jesus says he is, and that he can be trusted. See, when we learn to pray honestly, as Jesus is encouraging us to do, then that creates trust. And trust enables us to participate in the kingdom of God. Because participating in the kingdom of God always involves some level of risk, right? And faith or trust is spelled R-I-S-K, as we know from John Wimber. And so it's prayer that teaches us that we can trust Papa. And trusting Papa is what enables us to participate in bringing the kingdom of God into this world. Karl Barth says it this way, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorders of the world. And this is what I was saying at the beginning. This is still the resistance that we were talking about in the last few weeks when we were in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. This is all about doing life in the kingdom of God way. Resisting the powers of this world, resisting the disorders within ourselves that cut us off from ourselves, resisting the disorders between us, the broken relationships that can't be healed unless we tell the truth, uh, resisting the disorders that are larger, systemic and social evils, uh, resisting disorders between us and creation, uh, denying climate change is such a, such a horrible lie that we tell ourselves because. We can't admit our own sin in this regard. And disorders that make us hide from God. Prayer is us resisting all of that. Prayer is the beginning of uprising against the disorders of the world. And there are three parts to prayer that I want to encourage to you this morning. One is listening. You'll notice as you go through the Lord's Prayer that there's not a lot of words. It's not very wordy. And it's very dialogical. We start by addressing our Father, our Papa in heaven. And let, let your kingdom come. Let, let your will be done. And you can hear in that the, the moment for listening. Like, okay, what do you want to do? What is your way? So prayer involves for us listening. First and foremost, it involves listening. Prayer is not just us talking and babbling and saying lots of words. Prayer is first and foremost us listening to what Papa is saying, to paying attention to what Papa is doing. I see what the Father's doing, and I engage in that. That's what Jesus tells us. We're to be about the same thing. So prayer is first listening. And then prayer second is speaking, telling the truth, right? So we hear God say, where are you? And then we speak the truth, I'm over here. And then third, it's in acting. It's not just an exercise in talking. There's meant to be action here. Prayer is action. If we're doing it properly, prayer motivates us to do things, to participate in bringing the kingdom of God to bear in the world around us. Again, Patrick Otuma says it this way, prayer can be a rhythm that helps us make sense in times of senselessness, not offering solutions, but speaking to and from the mystery of humanity. Prayer is rhythm. Prayer is comfort. Prayer is disappointment. Prayer is words and shape and art around desperation and delight and disappointment and desire. Prayer can be the art that helps you name your desire. And even if the desire is only named, well, naming is a good thing, surely. Prayer is rhythm. Prayer is practice. I really want us to focus on that, not just today in this teaching, 
but in our lives. So instead of making this a really long teaching, here's what I want to do. I want to set up a thing, and we're going to try this for the next several weeks, and I encourage you to participate. There are seven requests that make up the Lord's Prayer that's here in Matthew chapter 6, one for each day of the week. And so what I'm going to do is, starting today, I'm going to encourage you to focus on one of those. The one for Sunday will be this, let your name be regarded as holy. I don't know what your prayer practice is right now, and whatever it is, that's fine. I hope you have one, and I hope it's growing. Um, if you do have one, I'd like for you to add this to it. If you don't have one, then let's just start with this and do this together. What I would like for you to do is, for the next several weeks on Sunday, add this to your prayer life. Just say, let your name be regarded as holy, or some variation of that. Let your name be holy. I want people to know that you're holy, Papa. I want people, when they think of you, to think good things, not bad things. Uh, not a small prayer in our moment, right? And then I want you to think through the day about how the Lord might be calling you to participate in making it so that the Lord's name is regarded as holy. So we speak this on Sundays for the next several weeks, and then we listen and pay attention through the day for ways we might participate in making Papa's name holy. And then on Monday, we'll do the second one. And on Tuesday, we'll do the third one, and so on. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post these in our private Facebook group each day to remind you of what we're praying that day, what we're paying attention to that day, what we're listening for, what we're acting on for that day. And if you have something that comes up, and you know, sometimes we listen and, and we don't hear anything and, and nothing comes of it, but sometimes significant things happen. I would encourage you to share those uh, in the posts on, on the Facebook group with us, if you will. So for today, this is the prayer. Let your name be regarded as holy. Papa, speak to me and show me what you want me to do with that. How I can participate in bringing that into reality in my life, in my surroundings, in my world. Just do that. Let's set this as a rhythm for the next several weeks. And try it and see what happens. Okay? One last quote for you. Gushy and Stassen say, Prayer as Jesus taught it is asking for God's delivering grace to rain down upon the earth. And at the same time, making the grateful choice to participate in that delivering grace ourselves. This is what I want us to do. We're asking for God's delivering grace to rain down on the earth. And we're looking for ways that we can participate in making grace rain down in our lives and the lives of folks around us. So that's all my teaching for today. Prayer is at the very center of the Christian life. And it's not prayer as a religious exercise. It's quite the opposite of that. It's prayer as listening and speaking the truth and acting on what we hear and on what we say. Let's take communion together. If you've got something to eat handy, take that up. I've got a bit of tortilla. And as we raise this together, this becomes the body of Christ because we are the body of Christ and we're all priests in the kingdom of God. And so your consecration powers are the same as mine. So as we hold this up, here's what I want us to say. Here's to listening and asking. We listen and we ask for God's mercy and grace for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our world. This is the first part of prayer. 
We listen and we speak. Oh, here's the listening and asking. And as you raise your cup, this becomes the blood of Jesus shed for us. And he sheds his blood for us so that we can be empowered and encouraged to participate. So here's to participating. Participating in bringing God's mercy and grace into our lives, into each other's lives, and into the world around us. To participating. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you for giving us not a formula, but a model. A model of relationship. Where we're encouraged to speak the truth. Where we're encouraged to listen to what your spirit will say to us. And we're encouraged to act on what you say. But let us be participants in answering the prayers we pray. But we do ask for mercy and for grace. But I ask it for, for each of us. I ask it for our sister Christy, who's got a broken clavicle, that you would bring healing to her body. I pray it for our community and our nation as we approach this election and things are ever more tumultuous. Let peace reign. Let justice be done among us we need your mercy and we need your grace and we offer ourselves up as willing participants willing activists to do the work of mercy to do the work of grace but on wednesday we're going to pray give us this day our daily bread and the day before we're going to hand out daily bread for as many people as we can let this be the model of our lives. Establish us in the rhythms of prayer, in the rhythms of grace. I thank you for my sisters and my brothers. Amen. All right. I'm going to post this on Facebook as well, and I'm going to post it again in the morning. So check that and join us in this prayer exercise over the next several weeks. I love y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.